Hello, welcome to Eyes for Ears, your off the multi OCAPs and board view podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Young and Andrew Powell. Just a reminder that these episodes are meant for medical education only, not to diagnose things on yours or anybody else's eyes. Each week, we take a high yield topic and talk about the why and the how. What are we talking about this week, Andrew? This week is going to be about the juvenile xanthrogranuloma disease. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what I said. The. No, that's- but, uh, <laughs> the the only the one and only juvenile xanthrogranuloma. <laughs> yeah, I see these all the time in clinic. No, I I have no idea what what the heck what is that? Yeah, it's a whole <laughs> thing. And so we wanted to talk about JXG for short, juvenile xanthrogranuloma, sort of because it's one of those more exotic things. And I guess uh, once in a while we'll hit you over the head with one of the exotic things. But we're gonna have a few episodes about the different things that are similar to it or similarly related because you can really consider juvenile xanthogranuloma as one of the most common xanthogranulomas in general. And there are juvenile ones and there are adult adult onset ones. Now these xanthogranulomas are all considered histiocytoses also. And we'll talk about what that is, but that means there's another category of histiocytosis also that we'll get to a little later. So uh, definitely following you, but what the heck is a histiocytosis? <laughs> yeah, so if you've ever kind of rotated through, if your residency has like a path, ocular pathology rotation, this probably came up a lot then because what a histiocyte is, and of course, histiocytosis, osis, with the suffix just being a proliferation, abnormal proliferation of these things. A histiocyte is really a monocyte that has migrated from the blood and bone marrow into tissue. So what we all kind of remember from med school is that monocytes, they become macrophages, and then something else called a dendritic cell, those which is also called antigen-presenting cells. What, at least in my medical school, they didn't ever really talk about was the fact that location matters. Like, where is this differentiation process happening? Yeah, the tissue. So so just to make sure I understand it, the histiocyte is a monocyte that's ended up in tissue. And that can cover both macrophages and dendritic cells. Yeah. So okay. You can have a tissue macrophage that's considered a histiocyte. You can have a tissue dendritic cell, and that's also considered a histiocyte. And then they can clump up all into these balls of either whatever kind of giant cell you want to talk about, and those technically are histiocyte derivations. Okay. So a histiocytosis is just proliferation of tissue-bound macrophages and dendritic cells. So to tell us more about JXG, this juvenile xanthogranuloma. Yeah, the other annoying thing about it, the just the name of juvenile xanthogranuloma then is, if I'm telling you that that's a histiocytosis, where'd they get the name xanthogranuloma from? And I think uh, you have some comments about that, right, Ben? Yeah, so if you remember from, I think it was like our first episode, we talked about xanthophils, which are yellow pigments that end up in your macula. So this has nothing to do with the macula, but xantho just means yellow. So these are just yellow granulomas. That's how I think they were just originally named. Xanthogranuloma just means a yellow granuloma. And this is caused by this just 
benign proliferation of histiocytes. Yeah, so histiocytes are things that make granulomas. And then in this particular category of histiocytoses, a lot of them have been associated, I guess, historically with like yellow skin deposits, yellow looking skin deposits. So they all got the name xanthogranulomas, whether that's a good name or not, we'll talk about it later. But then there's juvenile forms of xanthogranulomas and adult forms. And for this episode today, it's all about juvenile xanthogranuloma because that's what comes up in ophthalmology most frequently. And why is that? Uh, Because it affects not just the skin. I mentioned most of them do. Most of them do. Yeah, that's where they get their name really from yellowish skin things. But the other common area that they affect is uveal tissue in the eye. So, and in fact, that's the, the most common organ or non-skin structure to be affected after the skin, which is like 75% of them have skin involvement. Now, okay. the uvea, you know, the uvea covers a lot, right? So the iris is actually the most common ocular structure for to be affected in JXG, but it can get stuff like choroid, uh, retina. Now, there's one other random thing. Actually, a lot of JXG pops up on conjunctival tissue, and I don't know why. It's not really uveal, but there you go. Yeah, it's like lymphatic, so I guess they can end up wherever they want. Yeah, that's a good point. So, Ben, they show up in the uvea. What does that look like, or what can it look like? So they can look like solid masses, and you know it's definitely always on your differential when you see a patient with an iris mass. Um, so, you know, other things to think about when you see something on the irises are nevuses, lish nodules from neurofibromatosis, oculodermal melanocytosis can cause that, that nevus of oda. There, you can get cysts and um, ice, melanoma. There, there's all kinds of uh, crazy things that can pop up on the iris and look like iris nodules, but JXG is one of them. And you would tend to see them early on as children, though maybe they would go missed until uh, they developed symptoms from it. They would look small and like kind of yellowish lumps is how they would look. But they don't necessarily have to just be lumpy. They can be diffusely spread across the iris and look like heterochromia. Yeah, and then the, the yellowishness too, that often is just totally misleading and a misnomer. Sometimes they don't look yellow at all. If they did, you wouldn't be worried about the whole differential for iris masses, right? You'd be like, oh, that's a lish nodule or something. Right. But sometimes they don't look obviously xantholematous or whatever. Yeah. What do it look like in the skin? If this pops up around the skin of the eye, like the eyelid or something, then it actually may. It's probably a bit more of a chance that it looks yellow, but it still doesn't have to look yellow. In fact, like you said earlier, off-air, Ben, a lot of these turn out just to look reddish or brownish, so random little papule or something. But it doesn't have to just be on the skin. It can be, like you said earlier, uh, on the conjunctiva too, and maybe it's lymphatics or something that get them there. But at least you don't have to think too hard beyond just these things as far as physical stigmata of JXG in or around the eye. That's kind of it. Skin, iris masses, conjunctival, epibulbar, spot, 
lesion looking things. Little lumps. Sometimes they can present with cell and flare also though. And for that, JXG is also in your differential for like uveitis masquerade syndromes. Right. Okay, so I feel like I understand now what that XG part of JXG is, but in terms of juvenile, when we say that, we mean that usually it starts in kids when they're under two years old, and then it usually resolves on its own by age five. So it usually is a pretty good prognosis. But it doesn't mean that if you identify that a child has JXG that you can just ignore it. And why is that, Andrew? What can happen to patients with JXG? So... They can have actually problems with their eye pressure. And of course, with that, ongoing glaucoma problems off in their future. And the reason for that has to do with the iris masses again. The iris masses, you know, whatever they might look like, whatever color they might be, turns out they're actually pretty often vascular, highly vascular, with really fragile vessels. And so these iris lesions, not just are they present and there, but they can also easily bleed which will give you spontaneous hyphemas. So talking about differentials, you know, you have to think about JXG in your iris mass differential, in your uveitis masquerade syndrome differential, and also in your spontaneous hyphema differential, especially for children. And that's where the glaucoma risk comes from. You get enough recurrent spontaneous hyphema, you can have IOP derangements from that. Right. And, you know, I could see it that perhaps if a hyphema has already resolved by the patient or is not obvious grossly that perhaps it's easy to miss that they're having hyphemas. So I think in these patients, it's important to really take a good look at their iris. You have a nice differential for spontaneous hyphema in children. And I, we, we should harp on this point because this is probably one of the most testable questions about JXG is about spontaneous hyphema. That's like the very clinically relevant thing. Uh, Andrew, can you tell me what some other causes of spontaneous hyphema in a child might be? Yeah, well, one of them, and sadly maybe the more common one of this list, is not really spontaneous, but occult, and that's childhood trauma. Like if a kid is abused or something, unfortunately. Then there's this juvenile xanthogranuloma, some of the other ones that are the creepy crawly uh, cancerous ones, you can think of, you know, even from maybe something that's not that, not that serious, like a vascular hamartoma of the iris, to something that is more serious, like a retinoblastoma or a leukemia. Yeah. So that's why, you know, all these things we're talking about, they're not totally okay and will go away. So anytime you're seeing just non-traumatic spontaneous hyphemas, you got to be kind of suspicious and be very vigilant about it. Yeah. Uh, so let's dive in a bit now back into the histology of it. And, you know, this we suffer from not being able to show you guys pictures, but enough of this stuff comes up enough on tests with particular buzzwords that I think is still going to be useful. And in particular... This is where all those giant cell questions come in, because JXG has a particular kind of giant cell. Yeah. Can you tell us what that one is and a little bit about it, Ben? Yeah. So if spontaneous hyphema is like the most common thing you'll be asked about JXG, the histology is the second most common thing you'll be asked. So the, the type of cell in xanthogranulomas are tutin giant cells. That's T-O-U-T-O-N. Tutin giant cells. 
how I would remember them is in contrast to the other, two other types of histocytes that you might be asked about. So Teuton cells have a ring, a central ring of nuclei. And another thing you can try to remember is that their cytoplasm tends to look foamy because they're so lipid laden. They have so much lipid in them, which probably is why they're yellow. That whole coming back to the xanthogranuloma thing. The other two that you want to think about are Langhans giant cells. You'll remember them from your med school courses when um, reviewing diseases like sarcoid. In sarcoid, sarcoid giant cells are, oh, sorry, sarcoid is demarcated by having Langhans giant cells. So instead of a ring of nuclei, they tend to have these horseshoes of eccentric nuclei, and they're not foamy or fatty. And then the last kind of are foreign body. Um, giant cells. So those tend to have fragmented nuclei. Like they're not like a continuous horseshoe like in Langhans or a nice kind of uh, continuous ring like in Teuton's. They seem to have these fragmented nuclei. And those are the um, those are the three that that I would differentiate them. Th- those are the three to know about. Teuton is the one to remember with JXG. And that could be just the whole question. They show you a Teuton giant cell. They may give you a, a very brief clinical history and then ask you, like, what, what disease is it? So that's why it's important to know the, the difference between the three so you can use that correctly. Yeah. Now, Andrew, we uh, you had educated me at length before this recording about something that was very confusing to me between Langhan giant cells and Langerhans giant cells. Is that the same thing? Uh, <laughs> no. And also, to be specific, Langhans is the name of a certain kind of giant cell. Langerhans cells are not giant cells. So there is no Langerhans giant cell. There's just Langhans giant cells. And then other kind of histiocytes that are just happen to be something called Langerhans histiocytes. If only Dr. Langhan and Langerhan chose different fields, you know. Yeah, it sucks. I looked them up. They're actually both German. They're both uh-huh. from the mid nineteenth century, and they're both working in with microscopes, I guess, which is how they got their names on these Gosh. things. Couldn't one have like went into law or something? Like they're so inconsiderate. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. So another way to kind of be careful and look up at that at this is think of the categories we're talking about again. So to really uh, address what the heck is a Langerhans cell then, when I went back and talked about how there's all these different kinds of histiocytoses, there's actually a whole branch of histiocytoses that are called Langerhans histiocytoses. We're going to talk about those two in another episode, but not now. Yeah, just know that that's not the same thing as a Langerhans giant cell. They're just, we're... Right. Yeah. So the category that we're in now with JXG is in the non-Langerhans cell histiocytosis category. So there, we'll talk about Langerhans cells later, but they're not at all to do, they don't have anything to do with these xanthogranulomas. In particular, not with juvenile xanthogranuloma. Yeah. But another way of kind of thinking about all these giant cells is they're all granulomatous reactions, whether it's to a foreign body, like Ben was talking about, or whether it's to sarcoidosis or tuberculosis or any other kind of granulomatous inflammatory disease you know about, those typically have Langhans, right? Langhans giant cells are from your run-of-the-mill granulomatous process. 
The xanthogranulomas are very special in that they have this specific association with Teuton giant cells. And how they're different, one more time, sorry to keep hammering away at it, but no other giant cell has all this foamy kind of lipid-laden crap in them. Like the Langhans giant cell from sarcoidosis, tuberculosis, all that stuff, it's pretty kind of lean and lanky-ish, at least that's how I like to think of it in my head, insofar as there is no lipid in there. They have their nice kind of even concentric or even eccentric ring of nuclei, but you don't see foaminess in it. That's, that foaminess is only in Teuton giant cells, which are only in xanthogranulomatous processes. And then just to clarify, the, you know, laying hand cells can either be a horseshoe kind of configuration, or it can be an eccentric ring where like, it's still a connected ring, but one side is kind of bigger or bulkier than the other side. But that, and that's in Langhan cells, and they don't have as much foamy fattiness. Unlike Teuton cells, which should be a continuous ring with the foamy fattiness. So just to make sure everybody comes away with all this from all this confusion with some clarity, Ben, do you want to do some call and response with me real quick? Like I'll say a characteristic and then you tell me which giant cell it's associated with. Okie dokie. Okay. So xanthogranuloma. Which There's student cells. Yeah. Sarcoid or tuberculosis. Langhand giant cells. Foreign bodies. For foreign body giant cells. <laughs> yeah, that's a gimme. Um, lipid laden giant yeah, cell. Those are Teuton cells. Right. Eccentric ring of nuclei or horseshoe shaped. Ling hands. Ring. Yeah, ling, ling hands. Nice. I think that's all. Yeah, then fragment, my turn, fragmented nuclei. Foreign body giant cells. Okie doke. So the last thing we have to talk about with JXG is how to manage it. And what do you do if someone has it? That's easy because nobody, there's not much you do. You can do. You basically wait it out until the kid grows up from it and then it goes away. But that means all you really have to concentrate then is keeping them from developing glaucoma. Yeah. So basically, you know, if you see them get either uveitis or spontaneous hyphema, Treat them with drops, just like if they had uveitis or hyphema for another reason. You know, just treat them with drops, steroids, or IOP, lowering drops while they're going through this process. Um, otherwise, all the BCSC says about it more advanced from that is just resistant cases can require crazy things like surgical resection, radiation, immunomodulatory therapy, even. But it doesn't go into any detail on any of that. And I'm just going to take that as a get-out-of-jail-free card for all of us. Yeah, I think that probably needs very high-level care with, like, an <laughs> ocular oncologist, like, fellowship-trained ocular oncologist. So we won't oh, go too much into that. Yeah. Okay, we have, I, I'm giving us two minutes to go through the adult xanthogranulomas. We might as well finish up xanthogranulomas this episode. Okay. Okay. So, so there's four of them to know about. Yep, they're super rare. So even more rare than juvenile XG. One of them is really boring. It's just adult xanthogranuloma. They get skin lesions. That's we don't have to know much more about that. 
Nope. What is necrobiotic granuloma? That's such like a metal hardcore name. I know, right? It sounds the worst. It's got the scariest sounding name, but it's also um, pretty easy to figure out. At least it's got all these skin lesions that can be anywhere in the body. But those skin lesions do a special thing in necrobiotic xanthogranuloma. Special and disgusting, they can ulcerate. And that's why it's necrobiotic. Wow, hardcore. So if you look up, like these are the sat- some of the sadder pictures to look up on Google. Necrobiotic is just a poor person with like, I think I saw a guy who had a scalp riddled with just open sores. Very um, bad. But if that weren't bad enough, they can also have associated problems with paraproteinemias, just anything where your immune system's just churning out way too much extra protein. And that can be monoclonal gammopathies or even multiple myeloma. What, okay, there's the one that we like have all studied in med school is Erdheim-Chester disease. What that? This is, even though, I don't know why, I always thought Chester sounded like a fun, friendly name. This is the worst. Like mm-hmm. every other xanthogranuloma has got an okay prognosis, uh, at least for your life expectancy, whether or not you have ulcers on your head. But Erdheim Chester is the life threatening one with a dismal life expectancy. Because not only do you have all these xanthogranulomas everywhere, but you also get this dense, this like progressive fibrosclerosis around not just your eye and your orbit. But all over your internal organs, all your visceral spaces, the mediastinum, the pericardium, your pleural space. And this fibrosclerosis, it's literally like all of your organs are getting encased by scar tissue. And, you know, it's just horrible. It's like people are getting encased from the inside out is how I think of it. So. I hope I never have to manage someone with Erdheim Chester. It sounds terrible. Yeah. And I guess the one thing that we can tie it all together is what kind of giant cell do we see in all four of the things we just talked about? Well, they're all xanthogranulomas. So that means uh-huh. all the giant cells are Teuton giant cells. There we go. So that's so you, we just got you a four for one deal on histology questions. Fingers crossed. <laughs> now, if you want to know how to differentiate these broad xanthogranulomas with, with Langerhans histocytosis, you'll have to wait till next episode. Yes. That's all we got. <laughs> that's as much as we could wrap that's, our minds that's, around. Yeah, that, that took all of our willpower. It tested our friendship, but we got through the end here, uh, dear listeners. I'm sorry, Ben. No, no, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> this is the most uh, intense I've ever thought about the word xantho ever. To summarize the episode, juvenile xanthogranuloma is a histiocytosis. Histiocytoses are problems in the histiocytes, which are just the monocytes that have left the blood and entered the tissue and become macrophages or dendritic cells. The thing to remember is JXG gives you skin lesions and it can affect the uvea, predominantly leading to iris nodules that can lead to spontaneous hyphema, one of the top things you want you to remember from this episode, which can then obviously lead to glaucoma. The and histology, they're lipid-laden histiocytes that tend to have a nice circular ring uh, for their nucleus. In contrast to Langhans giant cells, which have an eccentric ring without that lipid foaminess, and foreign body 
cells which tend to have fragmented nuclei. Treat them like you treat your own with uh, topical drops for the uveitis or hyphema. And then there's a couple adult xanthogranulomas. There's adult onset xanthogranuloma and adult onset asthma with periocular xanthogranuloma, which literally, if you know what the, the, the title tells you, all you need to know about them for board prep purposes. There's necrobiotic xanthogranuloma, which unfortunately can tend to ulcerate on their own and is associated with monoclonal gammopathies and multiple myeloma. And Erdheim-Chester, which is the worst out of all these, and leads to fibrosis that in any case, multiple organ systems, including your orbits. If you like what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at eyes4ears with the number four. And we've got a website at eyes4ears.com, also with the number four there too. If you'd like to support the podcast and our efforts, a rating review on iTunes or wherever you found us is really helpful. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.